Welcome to the Five Questions podcast from Astronomy Magazine. I'm Dave Eicher, Editor-in-Chief of Astronomy. Every few weeks, I'll share the thoughts and research of the world's greatest astronomers, astrophysicists, cosmologists, and planetary scientists with you in these unpredictable moments of Q&A. Five Questions for Alan Stern and David Grinspoon is brought to you by Celestron. From your first telescope to precision observatory-grade instruments, Celestron has the perfect telescope to suit your experience level and budget. Find out more at Celestron.com. I'm delighted to have as guests a distinguished planetary scientist, Alan Stern, and a distinguished astrobiologist, David Gridspoon. What's going on here, you might say? This is the first time I've had two guests... Alan and David have conspired to write a fantastic book together, Chasing New Horizons Inside the Epic First Mission to Pluto, which is just published by Picador and is widely available in bookstores, on Amazon, and from other outlets. Alan Stern is principal investigator of the New Horizons mission, leading NASA's exploration of the Pluto system and the Kuiper Belt. A planetary scientist, space program executive, aerospace consultant and author. He has participated in more than two dozen scientific space missions and has been involved at the highest levels in several aspects of American space exploration. Alan is the recipient of numerous awards, including the 2016 Carl Sagan Memorial Award of the American Astronomical Society and has twice been named to the Time 100. He lives in Colorado. David Grinspoon is an astrobiologist, award-winning science communicator, and prize-winning author. In 2013, he was appointed the inaugural chair of astrobiology at the Library of Congress. He is a frequent advisor to NASA on space exploration strategy and is on the science teams for several interplanetary spacecraft missions. Grinspoon's previous books include Earth in Human Hands, 2016, and his writing has appeared in the New York Times, Slate, Scientific American, the Los Angeles Times, and other publications. He lives in Washington, D.C. It has been a great pleasure for me to know Alan and David for some years. Alan, David, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having us on. This is fun. Yeah, it goes for me, too. Before we talk Pluto, can you each tell me what first drew you into astronomy long ago? Dave? Yeah, all right, I'll take a crack at, at this one first. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in sort of our generation of space explorers will tell some version of the same story because of what was going on when when we were kids. And, you know, it almost sounds cliche, but but one of my first really... I, honestly, my first really vivid memory is of watching the Apollo moon landing when I was in the fourth grade. And, uh, you know, the grainy black and white picture of, of Neil and Buzz stepping off the limb. And, um, you know, that just blew my mind r- right out of my skull, my, my, blew my young mind. And um, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that led to a further fascination in, you know, all the, the space program that was happening. Um, and just I followed the earliest, uh, the, you know, the first missions to uh, to Venus and Mars and the first Mars orbiter and the uh, first missions to the outer um, solar system. All these firsts were happening when we were uh, kids and then teenagers. And um, 
you know, and I, I was also a science fiction freak when I was a kid, and the two kind of blended together, just all these uh, fantastic notions of the future and outer space. And um, uh, I was also influenced by some uh, some planetary scientists um, when I was a kid. I got to, uh, you know, was exposed to some people who I thought adults were doing really cool stuff who were involved in space exploration. So for me, it just sort of uh, was never really a question. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, really, ever since a pretty young age, I wanted to be part of uh, space exploration. And a golden age, and it's incredible now that we're on the cusp of celebrating the 50th anniversaries of the uh, Apollo missions. Where does the time go? Yeah, it's true. Alan, what about you? Well, I think Dave hit the nail on the head. Uh, 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 you know, I think a lot of us of, of, of uh, that generation were influenced by Apollo, and I was. And I was not just influenced by Apollo, but just by the whole notion of space exploration and you know, watching the first uh, flybys of Mars and Venus and, and uh, astronauts uh, flying in space uh, was uh, an elixir. It was something I, I was drawn to like a drug almost, and that's the only thing I ever wanted to do. Uh, I didn't know at first I wanted to be in astronomy or specifically uh, wanted to be a planetary scientist. I just knew I wanted to be involved in space exploration. And as I read more and more about it, and devoured books at the library and, you know, joined clubs and did merit badges and things and scouting, I, it, uh, it became clear to me that uh, uh, my bent was more scientific than engineering. And uh, uh, I followed that path all through school and then through graduate school, and it all worked out. So uh, I'm pretty happy to be here. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. And you guys now have partnered up to write this amazing book, Chasing New Horizons, that is just out, hot off the press. And this is a huge project, and it is the inside story of one of the greatest missions ever in Earth's history. So can you guys tell me a little bit about the book and what it contains and uh, what readers should really expect to discover in this amazing new work? Well, I could take a first crack at that one, um, and, and uh, I know David will add, add tales, but um, we wanted to write the whole story and really tell the behind-the-scenes story of what it took to mount this mission. It took you know, more than a dozen years uh, just to get it funded, and it took lots of tries, and there were many defeats, and then ultimately success. Then there was a huge competition uh, for uh, which team uh, would, would uh, be selected by NASA to build it and fly it. Uh, and we tell that story, too. And then we tell the story of actually flying the spacecraft all the way across our solar system and uh, how you prepare with a one-shot, all your cards on the table, um, uh, exploration of Pluto, for which there was no second chance. And we close the book with some reflections about what it all meant to us and to other people. Uh, and uh, some of the scientific discoveries that were made about Pluto, uh, the Pluto system, and dwarf planets. So it's it's really the whole story. And uh, I have to give David credit uh, for uh, uh, putting it together in a way that really moves along. It's page turner. Yeah, I, uh, I I think of it really as an adventure story. Um, you know, uh, I mean, the title "Chasing New Horizons." Uh, New Horizons is the name of the mission to Pluto, and it, you know, chasing uh, 
is some indication of it was really, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, it didn't come together so easily. <laughs> you know, it really was. <laughs> it, it was many years of effort and many false starts and, uh, you know, times when it could have just the story could have been over. But it wasn't over because uh, Alan and the other people involved persevered. And um, I think we really wanted to tell people how that happened. There's a lot of good books about space exploration that show you that this mission happened and, you know, here's what we learned, and that's in here. But I think because Alan and I are both involved in planetary exploration and Alan has, you know, the, the unique position of, of having led this mission, we were able to um, really step back and say, let's tell people how something like this comes together in ways that they haven't heard before. And, you know, there's a lot of juicy material here because sort of everything that could go wrong almost did go wrong with this mission. And so mm. in that way, it's kind of emblematic of all the different kinds of struggles people have to go through to make something like this happen. And that's really what we, we wanted to relate. Mm. That, that's fantastic. And of course, writing a book is a really difficult and, and lengthy process. It's it's usually a very solitary process of, of being sealed off uh, yourself, you know, all alone. It's very tricky, though, writing a book with someone else, with a co-author. How did you guys attack the writing and editing and planning process and and create such a great product out of this uh, tricky partnership that one has to do when you're working together? Well, you're right that it, it it's challenging. I mean, uh, you know, writing a book is, is pretty challenging for one person. And then uh, there are some unique challenges of um, of co-authoring, partnering with someone, but you know, there's also opportunities because you you always have a sounding board for everything, and it's some, sometimes the challenge of writing a book is how solitary it is. So, you know, there's uh, there's pluses and minuses. But in this particular case, it was also challenging because um, you know we, Alan and I, have sort of different, very different roles, and um, he was so. Um, central to the story. I mean, there are a lot of other characters that come into the play, and we, you know, a lot of other voices in the story. But, but Alan is very central, and I, um, you know, I, I'm really uh, there as a as a storyteller. I mean, I, I was um, aware of this of uh, uh, New Horizons and sort of peripherally involved, and a lot of my close friends have been involved over the years. But I, you know, it's 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 really Alan who's who's in the book, and I'm um, standing outside telling the story. So that. But I, I feel like that gave us sort of a stereoscopic ability to kind of tell it from two different angles and sort of merge our points of view. And I think we were successful in having the whole be greater than the sum of the parts in in uh, really having that overview that, that is provided by those two different perspectives. And it, as far as the mechanics, um, it started off by um, a lot us having a lot of conversations with each other. Like every Saturday for, for a year and a half, we spoke on the phone and out of that that was like the raw material, the transcripts of those calls, where Alan just filled and told me so many great stories, a lot that I didn't know. Um, and and then out of that raw material, uh, I wrote a lot of first drafts, although Alan wrote some of the first drafts. And then we just like workshopped it and passed it back and forth and critiqued each other and fixed it. And it, it just, um, you know, it ended up being really a collaborative project because the drafts went back and forth and just got stronger and pruned down to, uh, you know, what hopefully is really the core story that people needed to hear. Yeah, I'll add a couple of things to that. I mean, that was a great description of what we actually did. Um, I had uh, written books myself before uh, and written articles with other people, mostly scientific articles, but uh, others as well. Um, 
And I've always found that when you're working with somebody else, it's a lot more work because you have to both agree to the way things are said. And as David and I were passing uh, text back and forth, uh, uh, mini cycles on each chapter, and we were using track changes in, in Word so we could see what changes um, each person was making. And um, it was really collaborative. I actually had a number of people say, you know, you guys have been friends for 20 years. Um, you might not come out of this friends, but yeah. it actually it actually worked out great. Uh, and most most of the time we agreed on things and we never had any serious disagreements. And it was, I think, a much better product, um, uh, at least a much better product than it would have been if I'd written it, uh, because uh, uh, David, by being outside the story, could ask really penetrating questions and, and could see aspects to bring into it, not just the other people. Yeah, I think David probably interviewed close to 20 people who were participants from NASA administrators to members of the science team to engineering team to the teams that lost. Um, in in uh, the competition, people that were involved in the politics, uh, but but he also brought in um, you know a, a very different kind of perspective, partially as an astrobiologist, um, but also because he's just uh, such such a polymath and and is um, so broad in his interests that he brought uh, everything from uh, uh, from rock and roll to science to the party, and uh, I I think it's um, a really good product. I I think. Uh, I hope that the readers really like it. Well, I'm sure they Yeah, and one, one, one thing also that, you know, is worth mentioning is that there's some really cool history that we dug into, uh, sort of the prehistory, that the, the story of Clyde Tombaugh and his discovery of Pluto uh, is just really amazing. It, it's sort of the background um, for this. And, it, and what's cool is that it wasn't that long ago. You know, there are people still alive uh, now that were alive when, when, in 1930 when, when Clyde Tombaugh discovered Pluto. So that's the prehistory, and then and then uh, readers will discover that you know Tombaugh's family um, is is present. You know uh, his his widows at the launch, and his kids are at the encounter, and there, there there's some other sort of poignant details to learn about uh, about Clyde Tombaugh, and he's kind of laced through this story. And now here we are. We've got you know right here in my office, I've got a globe of Pluto that has Tombaugh Regio, you know, written on it, where there's a big uh, prominent part of Pluto named after him. So in addition to uncovering the story of, of how this happened with Alan and these other characters, there's this sort of historical unfolding that we, that we uh, laced through. Hmm. Fantastic story and a great partnership uh, between you two guys. Let's talk a little bit of science for a little while, if we could. For each of you, what were the most incredible things that we've discovered from the New Horizons flyby? And secondarily, do you, do you think that we'll get spacecraft back to Pluto and to other outer solar system objects someday? Well, why don't we take turns? David, why don't you talk about the most incredible things you thought we found? I'll talk about the efforts that are already underway to get uh, spacecraft back to Pluto and also to other small planets in the Kuiper Belt. And uh, then we can have some back and forth. Sure. So... The, to me, the most incredible thing is just how alive Pluto is. I mean, in the geological sense, it's uh, it's active. Uh, there are areas that have wide areas that have zero impact craters because something is happening there and reshaping the surface. And we didn't know that a small planet that far from the sun, covered in ice, different kinds of ices, 
would would be that active. Um, you know, this is something that happens a lot when we explore the solar system. We we think places are going to be less interesting than they are, and then we discover new kinds of activity, and we realize we were too blinded by our our you know sort of geocentric assumptions. So we thought that uh, we didn't know that an icy body without any you know obvious uh, huge internal heat sources could could be that active. But it turns out that uh, Pluto is has these huge um, seas of nitrogen ice that are not just sitting there like you think of ice, but are churning around and convecting and acting like a, you know, like a boiling pot of water on a very slow time scale. So that flowing, varied nature and, and just that discovery that small worlds so far from the sun can be so varied and, and active and, you know, so interesting um, is to me, the biggest discovery. And, you know, there are a lot of small discoveries folded into that, but that's, to me, the big wow. It's like, wow, this place is alive in ways that we just absolutely did not predict. Yeah, I would consider the, the variety of um, terrain types and the complexity of the surface that David talked about, as well as the uh, uh, completely unexpected degree of the activity, um, the big glaciers that are moving that David was talking about, and the uh, um, uh, the volcanic features that we think are ice volcanoes that have no craters on their flanks, even though they're the size of Mauna Loa, uh, just stunned us. And I think those are the most uh, interesting scientific findings at the very topmost level. Uh, there are others, you know, there's evidence for uh, past liquids on Pluto's surface, or slurries at least, and that indicates that Pluto had a much thicker atmosphere one or more times, maybe many times in the past, episodically. Uh, so there's there's lots going on in Pluto, lots going on in the satellites. Uh, and, of course, New Horizons isn't done. It's going on to another flyby of a, a, a small Kuiper Belt object, not a planet-sized object like Pluto, but a building block of planets like Pluto, which will be this New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, the target's called Ultima Thule, and uh, uh, we are on course and paralleling towards that. Um, about going back, uh, there's a significant interest in flying a Pluto orbiter, and I know that's going to be a big discussion in the upcoming decadal survey. There's already a white paper uh, that I helped co-author, but a lot of people did, um, and uh, many scientists who are signatories to that that uh, are asking for studies of how we would do a Pluto orbiter um, uh, flying out there in the 2030s. And that would be very exciting because, uh, you know, one flyby wasn't enough for Mars and only scratched the surface and Sometimes we call Pluto the new Mars or the other red planet. Uh, and uh, we're going to need an orbiter to really make sense of the physics and to see, because it's dynamic, as David described, things are changing. They're changing in the atmosphere. They're changing on the surface. And we need that time domain as well. But the other thing that's going on, which is exciting in terms of uh, out-of-planet exploration in the Kuiper Belt, is that I think Pluto, Pluto's complexity and Pluto's activity has really turned on a lot of light bulbs in the planetary science community about uh, comparing Pluto to other dwarf planets in the Kuiper Belt and going to visit some of those, because that population seems as interesting and diverse as the terrestrial planets. And you know how different Mars and Venus and Earth and Mercury are. And we think we could learn a lot by flying more flybys to other objects like Haumea or Sedna or Makemake um, and on down the list, even out to faraway Eris. And so um, I think that um, uh, whereas we once thought of 
a mission to Pluto is the first mission to the last planet. We now really unlock the door to what I think is the exploration uh, south of, you know, the initial salvo and the exploration of the third zone of our solar system, the Kuiper Belt. That's very exciting, guys, and, and I thank you for that. Um, let me ask a question to wrap things up in a completely different direction. You're each very sharp, skeptical, and logical thinkers. What can skeptical thinking scientists do to help the population these days in an era now when we're awash in misinformation and crazy leadership? I mean, there's, you know, there are really anti-science forces out there, and uh, who knows what kind of leadership we have now, if you can call it that. So, I mean, what, where do we go here to encourage interest and knowledge in real information and in scientific thinking in the future? Well, you know, there's a quote from H.G. Wells that I love, which is that, you know, history is a race between education and catastrophe. And, <laughs> you know, H.G. said that a while ago, but it always seems to, like, at various times, it always seems true. And so education, you know, that's the key. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously there's no magic bullet here, but um, the, um, you know, I, we all do our part. And certainly um, space exploration turns kids on and uh, gets people excited and shows people that science works. And there's, you know, there's a reality there. We're not just making stuff up. Like, you don't, you know, you don't reach a distant planet and send pictures back if you haven't discovered some real truths about the universe and how things work and how to, how to do things. So I think, uh, you know, uh, that's one of the things I love about space exploration. It's just such a great example of so many things, um, you know, of, how uh, humans can achieve incredible things and um, through large cooperative endeavors and how, um, you know, science and technology can, can be used to uh, just increase our knowledge of, of our universe. And, and frankly, right now, it's something that, um, that Americans can look at, the uh, exploration of Pluto, and go, I'm really proud of, of this. And our space program is a wonderful thing. And, you know, we're, these are divisive times, but Everybody can agree that on that. And, you know, Carl Sagan described science as a candle in the dark, and I think of it that way. And so, you know, this is, this is a light uh, that uh, efforts like this are, are, are shining light, and, and all we can do is try to spread that light and uh, that awareness, and hopefully that leads people to, um, to, uh, towards uh, rational thinking. Wow, I think David said that pretty well. Um, <laughs> let me just add a little bit, because uh, I'm not going to be able to equal that. But, um, you know, uh, I'm glad David brought up uh, Carl Sagan. Um, he's too modest to say it, but, you know, he re David really grew up under Carl's wing in some ways. His father uh, and uh, Carl were young professors at Harvard together, and uh, 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 Carl spent a lot of time with David, and David spent a lot of time with Carl through his his uh, youth and even his early days uh, going into science. And, you know, a generation ago when Sagan was the voice for space exploration and space science, probably the best-known voice, a lot of scientists, unfortunately, didn't appreciate how important that was. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of it was jealousy, but also a lot of people just thought it was frivolous that a serious scientist would be off on the Johnny Carson show yep. uh, or, or doing the kinds of things he was doing. Um, we need more and more of that, especially today. And um, and now a lot of people in our field and in other fields, ranging from uh, you know the study of dinosaurs uh, to the study of um, let's say artificial intelligence, not just space, 
are out there as scientists and engineers communicating with the public. And I think saving, uh, in many ways, is, is the, uh, the trigger to a lot of that. And as I say, I think we need more, more books, uh, more people uh, doing podcasts, more people out doing public speaking, and actually more people just doing fascinating science and communicating about it. Because science is this endless adventure where we're learning more about the world around us and the universe that surrounds our world. And uh, all those things are becoming very important to our society, not just as an intellectual pursuit, but because the climate is changing, uh, because uh, uh, space is becoming a part of the economy. And uh, the more we talk about that, the more we can engage people on that, I think the more they, uh, they appreciate it, but also the more enlightened they are to make decisions um, at the voting booth uh, or just in conversations with their, their friends and neighbors. Well, fantastic, guys. You're absolutely right, and that uh, was very inspiring to hear you say that. And it's amazing, uh, as someone who was influenced very much uh, by Carl Sagan, mostly from afar when I was young, it's, it's very uh, good to hear the both of you and to hear about David's very close association with Carl, who was a huge inspi- inspiring influence to all of us of that generation and and so uh thanks again guys for joining me today the book is chasing new horizons it is just out from picador it's the inside story of the new horizons mission to pluto if you're interested in science in planetary science in astronomy in the universe in the cosmos at large this is a book you need to get and need to read So I thank you once again, guys, for joining me so much, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Thanks for having us on. This is uh, really a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, David. And talk to you soon.